welcome to The Ordinary Knitter, the knitting podcast that's mostly about the projects. Find it on iTunes and now Acast through your podcast app or subscribe via the feed link on the website. My name is Heather. You can find me on Instagram at The Ordinary Knitter, on Twitter as at The Ord Knitter and on Ravelry at Ordinary Knitting. In the last episode, I briefly outlined where I was at with making a jumper for my daughter. We'd gone round the houses with what she wanted and eventually settled on a simple v-neck. So I was all ready to cast on for this after Christmas. I don't. I'm, I know some people make a, th- a thing of um, casting on a new project, often socks on Christmas Eve, and I love that idea, but I just don't know how people do it. I was chasing my tail on Christmas Eve. If anything, I need a breather. But a few days gone and um, I was ready to get on with it. So I double checked with Polly what she wanted because, you know, we had waded through it a bit to get to the point where she'd chosen this thing she liked and uh, discovered to no one's surprise that she changed her mind again. And she did, in fact, want a plain grey version of Taylor. No, it's great. No, it really is because it's a tried and tested pattern albeit we're doing it a little differently this time, obviously, and it will be much simpler without having to keep the stripes going. Hmm. Polly's only caveat was that she wanted this version of Taylor longer in the body. If you're new to the pod, I first made Taylor for Polly exactly three years ago. It fits beautifully. She wears it quite often, even now, and she often gets compliments on it, for which I take 100% of the credit. No, she's an absolute clothes horse and she wears it beautifully. The biggest difference is that when I made it before, rather than the stocking stitch that the pattern is designed for, I made it in garter stitch because that's what she wanted. So, of course, that changes the fit, but it worked really well. This time, though, she wants one that's longer in the body, which you'll get from the stocking stitch, and she wants it without stripes. This isn't the first time that I've made a second copy of a jumper, only the first time was in much less happier circumstances. I had a phase of buying cheap acrylic yarn from Aldi because it was affordable, and I hadn't clocked that acrylic doesn't do very well in the tumble dryer. I'd made a Gamzee for my husband, a drops pattern called To the Sea, a lovely fisherman style roll neck jumper. And I'll just point out that I made it in triple XL. It came out about 10 XL by the time it had been through the tumble dryer, as the heat does terrible things to acrylic yarn. So on that occasion, I just put my big girl pants on and I made him another one eventually, not straight away, which also shows you just how much of that yarn I'd bought from Aldi that I could make it and make it again. And I've still got some left. So I set myself to make another copy of Taylor in happier circumstances this time. I have just about enough grey yarn. Yes, it is acrylic because I'm still using up the really quite mind-bending quantities that that I managed to buy. Um, Even with making the body longer, there's still enough. So I made the back, that was fine, though I did get a little bit confused with the neck and shoulder shaping. I've experienced this before, I don't know about you, you've made something once and you've sailed through. Then you revisit the pattern a while later and you get completely stumped by something. Now I stopped to think about it, 
I remember actually I made several versions of a lovely sweet little cable jumper for my son when he was young and I've made two or three of the same baby jumper for friends just tinkering about a bit with um, the intarsia pattern and I remember now bumping into problems when I revisited these patterns and it's weird it makes no sense to me but to head it off in future I now make notes of anything that I think might come back to bite me on the bum another time. And I should know well enough by now that it's always worth putting in a lifeline. Reading the back neck shaping before I started, I knew it didn't quite make sense to me, but I hoped it would all fall into place as I went along. You know how that can happen, you know, even when you're a fairly confident knitter, sometimes it's all just a little bit abstract. Once you actually start doing it, it can seem a lot more obvious what you're needing to do. And really, that's prime territory for putting in a lifeline. If you're not absolutely sure what you're doing, but lazy ass that I am, I didn't bother. Inevitably, it all went wrong and I spent ages thinking. Incidentally, talking about tinking, later on I had to tink again and I suddenly realised I was doing it right for the first time ever. Usually, after tinking, I have to reverse every single stitch on the needle when I come to work it because I've put them all on the wrong way round as I've undone them. This time, out of the blue, I was inserting the needle differently and they were going on the right way. It was a small sop to the of having to tink umpteen rows. So I started this back neck shaping again again without putting in a lifeline and then spontaneously decided halfway along the first line of working it that I would put in a lifeline. So I threaded it through the stitches that were on the right needle and onto the ones on the left needle and you've probably spotted my mistake instantly. When you're halfway through a row ordinarily the worked stitches on your right needle are on a different higher up row than the stitches on your left needle. I'd threaded one lifeline through the lot partway through a row. So when I ended up needing to rip out back to the lifeline, I was all over the place and I spent ages snarling at my own stupidity. Once I was dealing with it, I realised instantly what I'd done. So after all of this, I went back to my notes from the first time I'd made Taylor, hoping for a good explanation from 2017 me explaining how to do the back neck shaping without losing your mind. But there wasn't a word, which is really disappointing. I must have just got on with it. I was knitting a lot more intensively then, so maybe I was a bit more on top of things technically. Anyway, after a bit of trial and error and faffing about and generally failing to find my arse with both hands, I got it sorted and I finished the back. I did remember from before that you need to use a stretchy bind off at this stage so that the neck is stretchy as you're taking the jumper on and off. In the original, you're meant to add a little standy up neck after, but Polly doesn't want that on this occasion. Obviously, if you're coming back to pick up stitches to, to build up a neck, you want uh, a cast off that's easy to work with. But even so, it doesn't really matter whether you've got that extra bit of neck or not. You still have to get it over your head. So on this occasion, it was easy to just do the, the looser bind off. Um, I even put a note on the pattern before I started so that I couldn't forget it. I used the reverse yarn over bind off that I always use on sock cuffs and I used a bigger needle just to make sure. And remember, this is on the back anyway. So if it's got a slightly, not exactly lumpy, but if the finish is just maybe not as smooth as you might like, it's around the back anyway and she's got long hair and she always wears it down. So after that, I started on the front, which was for quite a way the same as the back, pretty standard. But I had to start doing something different at a point 20 rows below the point where I'd started the shoulder shaping on the back. 
I marked the point on the finished back piece so that I could compare, but I had to overlay that in my head with making sure I included the extra length that we'd incorporated into the back. And that extra length was really in the point leading up to where before you start the armhole shaping. We'd added about 10 centimetres to that. For one of those inexplicable reasons, no doubt related to my mystification with the pattern that I'd rattled through on a previous occasion, I stalled because I suddenly decided it was confusing and complicated to make the front long enough, start the armhole shaping and make sure I started this different bit at the right point. I'm prone to this and it really annoys me. For about a month, I avoided the whole project. I didn't stop knitting, more about that later, but I just didn't have the mental energy to work out what I needed to do. Last week, though, I had about three hours on my own in the house, which was no small achievement. Both children were off school and college for half term and I have a husband who works from home. So I had this three hour window. So I had a stern word with myself about having no excuse not to take over the kitchen table to lay bits out and work out exactly what I had to do with them. It really didn't help that although my eyes had read the phrase work as for back until 20 rows before shoulder shaping starts, my brain had heard armhole not shoulder shaping, which is a large part of why I was avoiding the whole thing, because I thought that sounded weird for a simple round neck shaping. But I had a light bulb moment literally in the middle of the night a week or so ago when I'd realised shoulder shaping actually means shoulder shaping, not armhole shaping. And that made far more sense. Took the (gasps) factor out of it. So it was not such a big deal to actually get on with it. So I sorted out what I was meant to be doing. I noted it down just to make sure I didn't suddenly forget, you know, and I picked up my needles and I rattled through the rest of the front. Nearly. This is one of those patterns that tells you what to do on one bit, in this case, uh, one side, you know, like uh, one side of the neck, uh, and then blithely tells you to reverse the shaping for the other side. Having made such heavy weather of it on the back, though, I'd actually learnt a lot, so I was pretty sure of what I was doing. But I made a rookie error and I didn't read the pattern properly. This was 100% my mistake. And as the shoulder narrows to the point between the neck and the sleeve, I cheerfully decreased one stitch each end of the next four rows, then the next three alternate rows, then stopped to count and had six fewer stitches than I should have had. I then read the instructions properly and I should have decreased one stitch at the neck edge only for all those rows. So I had to tink back. As I tinked, I wondered just what it was going to take for me to learn to put in a bloody lifeline here and there as standard. As is totally standard with patterns, several sizes are accounted for all the way through. So you've got several sets of numbers at each stage for stitches decreased, rows of such and such knitted, how many to cast on, cast off, blah, blah, blah. Usually I just keep track as I go along if I'm not doing the main size the pattern's made for. But this time, before I started, I went all the way through circling the right option at every stage. It's a tiny change, but it's felt like a real life hack as I've gone through this project. I've just skipped along, not having to think. I'm continually convincing myself that I've chosen the wrong option. And was it the second set of numbers in or the third? Circling them all beforehand has eliminated all of that. And I'll definitely be doing it in future. Something else I did for once was swatch and adjust the needle size to get the right stitch count vertically and horizontally. And even though there's no guarantee that in the end Polly will like the fit, I do at least know now that if she doesn't, it's not because the piece has turned out much smaller or wider than it should have been. I had some 
oh, disappointing, I suppose, is the word, rather disheartening um, experiences over the last two or three years where I've made Aaron cardigans for myself and they've just been ridiculously big because I didn't swatch. And it's such a waste of effort. And of course, being me, I had to learn the hard way. But now, you know, it, I know now it's definitely worth doing. But of course, my head was so full of all these little adjustments needed to get the right stitch count on the row and in the columns that when I actually then cast on properly for the piece, I went straight into using the main needle size rather than knitting the rib in a smaller needle, which usually you do. But I just went with it and I made the executive decision that it won't matter in the end. And then, of course, had to do the same for the front as well. How true that really will be remains to be seen. So I've just cast on for the sleeves and this time I have used the smaller needle. Big floppy sleeve cuffs are a pain and in this type of garment I find they don't need much encouragement to grow as you're wearing them, especially if like me you tend to pull your sleeves up or fold them back because you know you're doing stuff. Before you know it it's flapping around like a wizard's sleeve. I could probably have gone down half a mil again. I'll see how they turn out in use and, and reassess it if I come back to it another time. I'm knitting both sleeves at once. Usually I knit two socks at a time and I'll use both ends of the one ball of yarn because I find it far less prone to being tangled and getting into a bit of a nightmare than using two separate balls. But I have done it differently this time. I started a new ball of yarn for the back and another new ball for the front. And there was a reasonable amount of yarn left on the first ball when I'd finished the back. But I didn't want to risk a join being visible at all as I knitted the front. So I used a new ball of yarn for that too. That then left me with two balls of yarn with a reasonable amount left on them, so I'm using one for each sleeve. I might need to start the third ball I have, but I'm much less bothered about a slightly visible join on a sleeve than on the front of the actual piece. And as the sleeves are identical anyway, I can allocate left and right so that any join is at the back of the sleeve. If I was a gambling girl, I'd bet that there probably isn't enough left on the balls to finish the sleeves. But honestly, I'd rather do this than end up with yet more dribbly ends of yarn lying around. They do my head in a bit. I can at least relax that I'm not going to run out of yarn with another entire unused ball in hand and only the sleeves and making up to do. I had originally hoped to have this project finished by the end of January, which tells you just how much time I spent um, swerving the project. And although I doubt it'll be done by the end of February, as it is today the 24th, it shouldn't be too much longer. When I had my hiatus, I didn't stop knitting. I just wanted to do small projects that give the dopamine hit of satisfaction when you finish them. My mum asked me in mid-January if I would make her a hat with ears or a mohawk or something else on it. I was delighted to do it and I was quite sure I had enough stash yarn one way or another. But that very day, we were, we'd were we actually gone shopping uh, as a late birthday thing for me and she asked me then if I would do the hat. That very day in the shops, she found a woolly hat for a pound in the Primark sale and decided that it was the hat she wanted. So then instead she asked if I would make horns or something that could be attached to the top. So I looked up hat patterns that had something knitted separately and then added on rather than integral as part of the shaping. I picked out a few things to try and collected several yarns from my stash that I thought would work well for the colour of the hat. I was never going to match it, so I was going for a good contrast. Um, I put the options on Instagram at the time, about five weeks ago now, if you want to see them. So shortly afterwards, I had the ideal morning to work up the bits and pieces. I had to get my son to Hereford for the hideous hour of half past eight on a Saturday morning. And rather than hang around and kill four hours in town, I came home. And it was the perfect opportunity to get on with the knitting in peace and quiet. 
So I started off with some horns. The first set were too small and the first set of cat ears I made were too big. So I set out to make bigger horns and smaller ears. Um, in the meantime, I'd sent my mum photos of the experiments and she decided it was definitely horns she wanted uh, in a lively, bright blue mix that I'd used to make a hat for her a couple of years before. The hat's called Capitan. I've made several of them in different things. Um, I made it for her in a stylecraft yarn called Carnival Chunky. Has to be said, I've never seen my mum wear that hat, although she often wears hats and caps. In the photo of the hat with the horns uh, on the Ravelry pattern, the horns curved in a little, which was absolutely ideal, really. But there was no shaping in the pattern. I didn't quite, couldn't quite correlate the two. But I guessed that you could create the curving by making one side shorter than the other one way or another. So I was going to have a, a wee bit of a, a tinker about with that and see what I could do. But I didn't have time to experiment with it before I had to go out again to collect my son. Um, and before the right opportunity came around, I'd already passed on the um, bigger but still experimental horns to my mum and in that time she detached them to her hat and decided she was very happy with them so curved horns will have to wait for another day or another hat. As Taylor is knitted in pieces and seamed rather than knitted in the round there's an awful lot of purling. I don't mind purling as a rule, but I am slower at it. And I remember I'd heard about mirror or backwards knitting, which removes the need to purl. Though, or what about ribbing? How does that work? I haven't thought that one through yet. So I thought I might give it a wee shot. And I looked up the very pink video and I got the hang of it straight away to my astonishment. Um, I, this is while I was still knitting the front piece for Taylor. Uh, I started along then what would have been normally a pearl row uh, but instead doing this mirror knitting but although the technique made sense straight away my ability to wrangle the yarn while maintaining proper tension was more than a bit dodgy. I realised after about five stitches that the upper front of a jumper for my daughter was not the place to be learning a new and to be frank entirely unnecessary technique so I did the boring but sensible thing and decided to leave it for another day. It looks really interesting though and I can see how satisfying it would be to do. I don't think it would take long to get to grips with holding the yarn properly so the next project that has pearl in it I'll give it a go. I'm really late to the party with this, by the way. It's been new and sexy for really quite a while now, but it's ages since I've been working on a project that had miles of pearl to do. When I first started knitting socks, I made a rookie error. I actually made loads of rookie errors, but I made one in particular that there just ain't no coming back from. I didn't realise that all four-ply isn't sock yarn. In other words, it isn't robust enough for the hammering that socks get, especially socks that spend their lives on my husband's feet. I made at least one pair that flaked out on the heel after one outing, and no amount of strengthening and patching was going to save them. I think because they were made of a lovely like silken wool or something like that, so they had this went in the compost. I really thought I was past that sort of silly mistake, but it seems not. I acquired um, a fair bit of a lovely green five-ply a while ago. It feels cottony and I've used it for the cuff of a pair of multi-yarn socks I was making from stash ends. Had a phase a little while ago of using all the four-ply sock ends that I had and I've made my husband a couple of sort of, I mean, they're, you know, they're all kinds of pattern, um, as in patterns of yarn, you know, colourways and miles and this and that, all jumbled up together. But, you know, it's fine. It's like getting a couple of pairs of free socks. 
Um, and although this is five ply, I only used it on the cuff. And so I reduced the stitch count round the cuff as I went. Um, and it's held up very well on the cuffs. It's washed and dried well. Um, I found the five ply sock pattern I talked about in the last episode, Sport Boot Socks by Christina Owen, and uh, knitted it up in this lovely green five ply. We were both really pleased with the fit, and especially given that they're a departure from the four ply pattern I've evolved over the last few years and that I know works really well for my husband. So it was a little bit of a gamble whether using a completely new pattern with a completely new size of yarn. It was a little bit of a gamble as to whether that was going to fit as nicely, but it all seemed to be going really well. So imagine my dismay when I noticed, as I handled them after coming out of the tumble dryer, that the heel was thinning after only a couple of outings. I had also realised around that time that uh, tumble drying them wasn't helping. All that fluff in the tumble dryer filter has to come from somewhere, and most of it is your clothes and towels slowly thinning. Having said all that, I live in a damp house in a part of the country that sees a hell of a lot of rain, and I really often have absolutely no choice but to use the tumble dryer. So now, um, I do though make the effort to take out the most sensitive things, and I I hang them up on this uh, terribly attractive... um, sort of set of hangers that I've got hung up uh, on the curtain rail above the tumble dryer. So they get the benefit of a lot of the warmth, but they're not actually being bashed to pieces as they go round and round. So I've strengthened one of this pair. It really isn't something that I find particularly enjoyable. Although I think it's one of those things that you imagine is a wee bit more tedious than it really is when it comes to it. You actually get going on it and you're going under and over and under and over. And you can actually kind of get into it. And it really is daft to go to all the effort of knitting socks and then them not be worn because I can't pull my finger out to darn them. I don't want to get distracted from finishing Taylor just now, though. As you can see, it doesn't take much to send me totally off course with projects so I'm going to finish Taylor and then I will see to darning the second sock. Never ever again am I using for socks anything that doesn't explicitly tell me it's suitable for making socks. This yarn came to me already um, totally out of its original packaging. It was just made up into balls of a certain weight so I, I made assumptions and just because something can go through the tumble dryer without melting or shrinking doesn't mean tumbling it is doing any favours. That's me for today. I'm absolutely knocked out by visitor numbers. I'm not putting out episodes very regularly or frequently, you know, partly because I'm making such heavy weather of getting things finished. But you're listening in your hundreds some weeks, not something I ever envisaged when I started this podcast nearly four years ago now. Well, there's a new baby due in May. Not for me, not for me. And my son has asked for a jumper. So there will be plenty of knitting chat to come. And I look forward to joining you then. Bye.